0: Welcome to the sixty-second edition of the Pro Wrestling Zone. I am
1: Tiger Heights, and I am Peanut Gallery. Took you three times to do that. I
0: know, so <laughs> I don't know why, but sixty-second just doesn't sound right. There should be like an ST or a something. But anyway,
1: the sixty-second red?
0: Yes, that sounds good to me. Anyway, so we got news. We do have a history lesson. We have yeah. a
1: pseudo-bibble study. Well, my bibble study is combined with our topic, which is worst gimmicks. The worst gimmicks in
0: all of professional wrestling. We only chose like a handful, so right. we weren't here all night.
1: So so that means that um, I'm going to go first since I have to incorporate the bibble study, and then um, yes. Tire High will go last to end off the show. Well, I have to do um, my, um, I to then, do my uh, right. wrestling
0: lesson right. as well. So wrestling lesson, then yours, then mine. Right. Okay, but first news. So let's start off with Stardom. So Stardom announced their 10th anniversary is going to be in a much bigger place. Okay, their last year's venue was in Kirken Hall, which seats about 2000 people because it's a sumo hall, right? But they're going to be in the Nippon Budokan, which holds about 14,000 fans. That is a big jump, and they oh, yeah. their popularity must be soaring over there. I've heard really good things. Yeah, like they're going crazy right now. Um, but I just wanted to start off with a good congratulations and a howdy
1: do and. To, Ryan me never <laughs> say that again. Anyways, the let's Impact, talk, no, yes, the impact, impact re- Knockout Tag yes. Team Title Tournament Brackets. They're, they're
0: coming back. So it's going to be starting this coming Tuesday. Okay. And then the finals are going to be set for January's Hard to Kill pay-per-view. Okay. So we will cover that when we cover it. So this is the brackets that we know. Tanil Dashwood and Alicia will take on Havoc and Nevaeh. Okay. Killer Kelly and Renee uh, Michelle, who is uh, Rockstar Spud's wife, okay, will take on Jordan Grace and a partner, which will be announced later. I think okay. there was um I think it was originally supposed to be Kylie Ray, but for no, obvious Kylie
1: Ray, I think was supposed to be with um.
0: Well, um, Sue Susie is not even on this, so it doesn't matter. Oh, that's right. She's already in a rivalry in a program. Kira Hogan and Tasha Steels will be taking on the Sea Stars, which is Ashley Vox and Delmi Exo from Shimmer. So nice. we, might, we might have a cool Shimmer partnership. And if they're bringing in the Impact Knockouts Tag Team Champions, that's a great place to get. Right. Uh, Deanna Perrazzo and Kimberly will take on Taya Valkyrie and Rosemary. Okay, cool. So those are the brackets. I think it's um, a solid lineup. Yep. I think it's a very – I think I'm really excited. Yes, absolutely. Their women's tag division has gotten so much better. And also with the whole thing with Shimmer, I really hope that's a long-term partnership because that could be extremely beneficial.
1: All right. Well, Alexa Bliss got engaged to the wrong Ryan.
0: (laughs) A pina Gallery literally <laughs> like Gallery literally got trashed and cried over his wine because he's a bitch. So
1: I did not. But congratulations to Alexa Bliss and Ryan Cabrera. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Oh, I thought it was Faggot anyway. <laughs> I mean Ryan Fagrera. <laughs> we are
0: we are very we are not racist. Anyway, Sasha Banks was on the um Metachlorian show, which Mandalorian. Mandalorians, Metaclorian, same thing.
1: Jesus Criminy.
0: It's the same thing. No, you know, it's not. You know what I'm talking about. She was on Disney, okay? Yes. She was Thank on the, you. She was on the cool show. She was, like, there for, like, all of two minutes, but it was neat. Okay. So, good. Um, once again, congratulations to her. Terrence – God, man, we're going to be congratulating a lot of people. Terrence and Terrell Hughes, the twin sons of Devon Dudley, are set to make their AEW Dark debut. Hooray! So, once again, congratulations for those two. I don't know why, but it bother Like I think it's cool, but you know right. this might be kind of awkward for right. Christmas because Devon works in WWE. Nah, it's fine. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, now let's go to some bad news because everybody loves bad news, right? Right.
1: Tony. Tony Chimel is. Ben Chimmel. Bood- Chimmel has been booted from the WWE. The we non- will we will discuss the other major release that happened this week to close out. But um, yes, Tony because Chimmel- because that is a gigantic developing story yes. which could have.
0: So many predications of a lot of people yes, fucking so,
1: off. Yes, so we are going to end off but with this, that. But this this one
0: was crazy because yeah. Tony Chimmel's been with them for like 25, 30 years. Right,
1: he's the guy that goes right at our superstar. Yep. The,
0: the announcer, that yep. longtime SmackDown announcer. Yep. I thought he was great. So yeah, hopefully... So. Um, I could maybe. see they're, him. they're
1: just doing it for Ross, for um pay reasons. They just want someone in there that they can pay less. Right. Well. And, yeah. He has the experience. He could be on AW Dark and I think right, be A. W. Dark. All right. Yeah. Um, and so um let's see let's go to
0: the inductees. Um, okay. You want to do rest. the inductees first? So okay. I will. I will be talking about each one of their careers except for one because why would you?
1: These are going to be the Wrestling
0: Observer Hall of Fame inductees.
1: And you're talking about this after we get off, right? After we get off um, of this segment, right? Yes. Okay.
0: This is when I will be discussing that. So this it's a good little get here. Um, um, Medico Aisio, Karloff Lagarda, Jun Akiyama, Kenny Omega, and Don Koloff. So, a lot of these are Mexican in tradition, which is kind of cool. Right. And obviously, Kenny Omega being inducted into the Hall of Fame was a huge
1: controversy this entire week. Right. There are a lot of people still extremely angry about it. I don't, I mean, I, I guess there's, there's always something weird about inducting someone while they're currently still active. So, and especially at the height of yeah, their career, right. they're already in the
0: Hall of Fame. It's super strange. Right. Um, they believe that the... Because one of the criterium for this is in ring work. Right. And he was booted up to, I think, like 54.6% wow. after his match with Hangman ah. um, at uh, Full Gear. Ah. So I think because people are like, oh my god, this match was incredible. It was a great match. Right. And he just constantly puts but, out great but, stuff. But it
1: was just the timing.
0: Right. It's super weird. It is. Um, the next year's ballots right now have Nikki Bella... Dorian uh, Dorian Dor- 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 Doral Dixon, sorry, <laughs> Bill Dundee, Seth Rollins, Kazuchika Okada, John Moxley, the Hollywood Blondes of Buddy Rogers and Jerry Brown, Octagon, La Parka's AAA version, and then Psycho Clown. Ah, so we have a little bit of mixed bag here, and yep. I hope that you know, I mean, obviously, everybody here deserves it, right. but um.
1: You know, you will see. But- so before we get to Zelina Vega's whole fiasco, let's talk about a couple of others, uh, a couple of other contracts that have changed. So Alex Zane has signed with the WWE. Yes. And the Rascals' deal is ending soon. There is interest for AEW and WWE for all three of them. Yes. Um, But it's looking likely that they might be on an NXT screen near you. I really hope so. I really hope they don't go to Maine because you know what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. No, Vince McMahon is going to eviscerate their career. Speaking of eviscerated careers, let's talk about the big cheese this week about Zelina Vega or, if you're an Impact Wrestling, fan Sarita
0: yeah was it Sarita or what no I think it was Rosita
1: oh Rosita yeah it was Rosita oh.
0: Sarita was the other girl oh that's right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well it doesn't matter Rosita um, so yeah Zelina Vega was released from WWE um I believe on Friday
1: yes so she- apparently there's a lot there was a lot of backstage heat Zelina Vega was not happy about the twitch streaming problem.
0: She was very vocal Um, about it as as well.
1: As have a lot of other people said. Um, Also, about uh, 10 minutes before
0: it was announced on WWE's website, Zelina Vega did tweet, I support unionization. But it was
1: widely believed that she was released beforehand. So we don't know if the, I don't think that that tweet was was the be all end all. I think, I think she had expressed support for it. Oh, she did. um, Yes. For her firing, but she was very unhappy with, uh, with the way that the whole transition has because gone because of the Twitch thing. WWE, they're independent contractors. You can't do this, um, and so she has attracted the attention of multiple, uh, multiple unions. Yes, um, and has also attracted the Andrew attention of Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang is. Pissed too. Um, the other thing too is that um, there is there is reason to believe that uh, Alistair Black might not be too far behind because Alistair Black requested to be returned to NXT which was denied. Yes. So I think that there's a lot of unhappiness just with that whole Well, though the, the, the
0: whole Twitch thing is bad and I think Zelina Vega I, was just their sacrificial yep, lamb she was, yeah, she every, was just
1: that that sacrificial lamb right. like you you go against the system we're going to fuck you over. Because
0: I mean, I hate to say this. I mean, I I have all the respect for Zelina Vega she impress, she's impressive. She has great mic work, and anybody would be great to sign her. But everybody else who is a part of that might have some more pull on the entire industry. You got AJ Styles, right. and Alistair Black, and Xavier Woods, and Kofi Kingston, Big E. Oh, I mean, this
1: takes one person, though. Right.
0: Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on for a lot of these. Paige. Paige is a big one. That she's been the most vocal about this. Yeah, I know. And she, I'm surprised that she hasn't gone. Um, once again, I think it's about that poll. Paige right. is more of a name than Zelina Vega. Once again, that is not being offensive.
1: Oh, that's oh, just, oh that's like, just like WWE, thing. like WWE would be stupid to like, like ever like go like, oh, we're gonna fire Paige. Yes. Because Paige, Paige
0: Paige has the experience because Paige, has Paige the will big take family yeah, too. Because mm-hmm.
1: Paige will take half the women's roster with her. Exactly. <laughs> um I mean there are a lot of people who are not
0: happy backstage with the Zelina Vega firing. No. Um she was not aware that she was going to Paige, be released. Paige
1: wasn't happy either. Mm-mm. But yeah, Zelina Vega is now not with the WWE. Um, it sucks. It and, does. Um, this is going to be a definitely a developing
0: story as oh, it goes. Yeah. Um, just because I think this just opened up a can of worms that WWE just cannot afford right now. Right. Um, especially with some of these other bigger guys who are just like. Zelina Vega was making more on Twitch than she was making on her WWE contract. Right. And knowing her, she'll be getting a ton of sponsorships. She has like 1.1 million people following her on her social media. Right. She's going to be fine. Oh,
1: also, Zelina Vega did also create an OnlyFans account as well, which was also theorized to be one of the reasons.
0: Yes, I did hear about this, too. I didn't think it was, but we'll, we'll yeah. cross that bridge. But anyway, um, that's, once again, a gigantic developing story. Yeah. Um, you know, it is what it is. I fully support these people for making these. Um, as long as Alina Vega wasn't like showing her vag, I
1: don't give a shit what she does well, with it. Well, the Vince McMahon has to.
0: I don't. They're ten they're ninety 1099s. It I, doesn't I know, matter.
1: But, but, but Vince McMahon has to make it uh, make a choice, essentially. This is bad. I mean, this it's, is it's this, bad that was, for the, it's bad for the industry as a whole, too. It
0: really is. Um, but anyway, that is going to be the news for today. Yeah. Um, Coming up next is going to be my wrestling lesson. Yes, as soon as I find it somewhere here. Yeah. Um yeah, wrestling lesson will be next. All right. And we are back after my immense craziness there. Um, With the wrestling lesson, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And with the Hall of Famers coming out, I wanted to talk about them because there are a lot of people who are like, who are these people? And I did some research and I think it's a really interesting thing to talk about. Let's talk about Medico Aisio, who wrestled more so in the early 1900s. He was very popular in the 20s, going into the 50s. So, um, what made him incredibly unique is that he was an incredibly popular luchador, but he was also six foot three. And 275 pounds. So, big guy. Yeah, so he was really a hallmark for heavyweight luchadors because he could do everything that everybody else did. Um he had rivalries with El Santo, he had rivalries with Blue Demon, he had rivalries with Gory Guerrero, which was a huge um huge emphasis on that. Um with the um natural size that he has and the ability with his um agility as well. He was really the first Big star in Mexico. Mm -hmm. He was doing movies before El Santo did. Nice. Um, His first television show was, his first television show appearance was, I believe, in the 1940s. uh, And it was spanned for about 20 years. And his first movie was because El Santo was injured. So he could not be in there. Uh, So really, um, Aisio was the first big transitional wrestler into it his most well-known gimmick actually was not his original gimmick it was given to him um just out of nowhere because they needed somebody with less color they actually needed like um they they called it a cool off wrestler and with the big bright colors they realized that a cool off wrestlers tights and stuff was something that really made them stand out now with that being said this is all under the cmll name so he won multiple championships, but he was really more well known for um, bringing back the heavyweight division in um, CMLL because there wasn't a heavyweight nice. division um, after I think it was like 1905. Ah. So he, because of the obvious size. And then people really started to look more at those wrestlers. Right. And they're like, wow, we can make a division out of this. Right. So he was given the CMLL National Heavyweight Championship. Okay, cool. So um, obviously, definitely deserving of the Hall of Fame spot that he's in. Let's talk about Carlos Lagarde. Speaking of our um, friends on the Mexican side. Whoa. Oh, yeah, deleted. Anyway, um, this Luchador was incredibly popular. Whoa. Whoa. I am having a fun. Oh, you time. You are having okay. a fun time, aren't you? So this guy, he was incredibly popular in the 1960s and 1970s in CMLL, uh, with being in the welterweight. He was called the king of the welterweights due to him holding the Mexican national welterweight championship for a total of 2,731 days. Roughly, where it's you know hit and miss yeah. on that one. Um, over the course of four different reigns. Okay. And then he won the NWA World Welterweight Championship uh-huh. for 4,802 days nice. over three reigns. Nice. Um, he had a incredibly popular tag team, Los Rebelades, which is the Rebels. Los Leblables? Yes. Like Ingonermalenables. Like English and, and to this day, people believe that the Rebels are one of the top five tag teams in Lucha Libre history. La- Las Rebredes. La- Bla- 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 yes, Las Rebredes. Obviously, we are so white, it's crazy. Right. Um. He is a second-generation wrestler, but fun fact, we actually do not know who his father was. Excellent. Um, but we do know that he is a second generation. Um, The documentation has not been found yet, but people continue to search for it. Well, of
1: course there isn't documents. It's Lucha Libre tradition. It's
0: crazy. I love it. I know. Um, his brother also wrestled around the same time, and the family relationship was not publicly known at the time, uh-huh. um, but he wrestled under the mask of Angel Negro. Angel
1: or, a Negro? Angel
0: or, ne- Okay, we don't have to be phonetically correct here. We're Americans, okay? Or Black Trump. Angel. <laughs> 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 so anyway... Um. Let's go from there. Let's go back to our favorite place, Japan. Yay! Hooray! Jean Akiyama, who is still currently wrestling, is. He the is? Cr- yep. Oh. He is the current All Japan Pro Wrestling's president, mm-hmm. representative director, co-head booker, and former two-time Triple Crown heavyweight champion. Nice. He innovated the Blue Thunder Driver and the Blue Thunder Bomb. Oh. Yep, so he uses it to, to this day. Nice. Um, he was one of the first wrestlers to walk out of All Japan Pro Wrestling in 2000 when um, Misaharu Mizawa had his um controversy on who ran it, and he was one of the first main eventers in pro wrestling, Noah. Yep. And he was there for about 12 years, nice. and he went back to All Japan in 2012, and he's still there. Ah, huh? nice. So it's really cool. And let's go – I don't really have to say a whole lot on this guy because for obvious reasons, um, Kenny Omega – Yes, you know, um, you know, see
1: first- the one of two people that have the highest rated match in the history, according to Dan Meltzer. Uh, Dave Meltzer, Dave Meltzer, um, multiple main events, blah blah blah. Um, obviously, was- co one of the co-founders of All Elite Wrestling, current executive producer, first guy
0: to win the G one climax. Yep. Um, really had the distinction of going from a junior heavyweight to a heavyweight yep. Um, almost based on his popularity alone, um, and I think it's great, and hopefully that with the Kenny Omega connection and him speaking fluent Japanese— um, He can get some more Japanese promotions, maybe even including New Japan, yep. on the side of AEW. Yep. And like I said, I don't think we really have to go through it because his career is just a gigantic highlight
1: reel. And it's also, and it's also still in progress. Yes. Um, so. And also,
0: fun fact, he uh, wrestled in NXT for a little bit.
1: He did, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think that's really cool. So Dan Koloth is the Dave Melter's historical induction ah so he won he won the first european freestyle wrestling championship um as an individual from bulgaria and this was like in the 1900s which is crazy he won european gold in 1936 in the championship in paris which is a huge tournament at the time uh which is second distinction uh for bulgarians after the world title of Nikolita Petrov from 1900, huh. which is I think is kind of cool. Um, he fought a bear while hunting. Ah. Um, legend has it that he fought the beast for an hour with his bare hands until he got a chance to kill the animal with his rifle. Apparently, witnesses saw marks on Kolov's hands and on his necks from the bear uh, when he was wrestling. So that's where that um, thing came uh-huh. from which is, of course, he's Bulgarian. Might as well well fight a million bears on tricycles. Right. He was subsequently hired to wrestle for the Victoria Circus at the beginning of the last century. Um, Wrestling was represented in freestyle wrestling, which had punches and kicks. They were allowed in that. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a dangerous sport with extremely serious and severe injuries. Where then catch as catch can or catch wrestling, right. could be considered um, the father of today's mixed martial arts, uh-huh. which is why also Dan Koloff is in the MMA Hall of Fame ah. because they're not a hundred percent sure if he was really a professional wrestler or a, a fighter, a fighter um, before being discovered and trained by professional wrestler. I am uh, Zabisco... I'm not even gonna try to pronounce that last name. it's cyanowitz, cyanowitz. How you know this Channel will never know. Cyanowicz, I'm pretty sure he butchered it too. I'm pretty sure I did. Koloff was a self-taught wrestler. Um, he was... Yeah, it looked like Cyanowicz. Yeah, we're just going to go with it. He was the first wrestler who captu- captured professional world heavyweight wrestling championships diamond belt... Twice, ah. where I think that one was like kind of like a pseudo NWA World Heavyweight Champion, if I'm not mistaken. It's really hard to find out what the Diamond Belt was, right? Um, because you know, depending right. on the source, um, his most famous victories are in New York versus Rude versus Rudy Dusk in 1919 Kay. in Tokyo with Jiki Hygin or the Strangler there in 1921 in Paris versus Henry. Dial Sayal- Sayal- Dialay Dialin, de- yellin- whatever, in 1933. Um, he won three European heavyweight champions, which I think is cool. And, um, he defended then European heavyweight champion American Al Pin Pereira Piero, Piero, only M- for Piero to Perry, win the title point point back, back and for Koloff to regain it. So they just kind of flip flop. right. And then losing it to Joe Savaldi. Okay. So kind of an interesting little tippet there, but that is um, wrestling Lesson with Tiger Height. When we come back, Peanut Gallery is going to kick us off with the worst gimmicks, but then he's going to have a little bit of a twist with it. Yes, they're
1: all religious-based. Yeah! Yeah! and we are back so we're going to start off so these are the worst wrestling gimmicks in the history of professional wrestling at least from at least from our opinions Yes. I chose a lot of religious-based ones because those ones also were kind of the funniest. Right. Um, but, and, all,
0: and also, if we did, like, all of them, we would be here for an right. hour. So we chose, like, five. So, right. um,
1: peanut Gallery, go ahead. Okay. So, Friar Ferguson, one-hit wonder because Friar Ferguson actually only wrestled one match as Friar Ferguson. So um, he was the mad monk in the WWF uh, had received at the time negative, this was in 1993, which is a very well-known period, by the way, for, um, for, uh, the, um, uh, the, uh, I guess for that whole era, it was, it was rife with those really bad gimmicks, if you can remember that, but, so the friar was a mad monk, and so what happened was they, they called it off after one match because uh, because the WWF received negative feedback from the Catholic Church in New York. So, um, if you don't know a lot about the actual person, um, Mike Mike Shaw, I think was his name. Uh, the WWF. Um, and you, you know, even WCW and stuff, his enti- all of his personas, all of his gimmicks, were really centered around his weight, the way that he looked, um, and so that's kind of, you know, again, that's really old style of looking at things. But that's really kind of where he gained his fame from was the way that he looked, and of course, there are plenty of characters who have that, but. That's, you know, to me, that's something that might be more of an older style. Right. Um, this was a gimmick before he became Bastion Booger. Right, so Bastion Booger as well. But again, Bastion Booger was also based off of the way that he looked. Right. And then even his, I think it was his son, wasn't his son Big Dick Johnson? Something like that. Yeah. So again, it was because of the way that he looked that that was, you know, that, that really kind of put him into those gimmicks. So anyways, um, Friar Ferguson's one and only match was against a jobber named Chris Duffy. It was completely unremarkable in every way. Shaw looked like what he was, a bald old man with wobbly knees, and Vince can't have been impressed. But yeah, the Catholic Church in New York certainly wasn't impressed, and they complained about the character forcing it to be removed from television. So that's the shorthand history of fire ferguson um and uh we're gonna move on here to our next papa shango papa shango i mean people in the attitude era might know him as papa shango but also his probably arguably more well-known gimmick of the godfather right um and various others but in 1992 he came uh, and he was Packaged as Papa Shango I think that there was an injury that Happened in the early Like in early 1991 so he was out for a while And then he came back Uh, But he was a voodoo practitioner with an appearance Reminiscent of the Iowa um, And it was actually Inspired by the uh, Character uh, in Live and Let Die It's a great movie so the character debuted um, in February of 1992, defeating an Enhancement Talent. Um, the character carried a skull to the ring, billowing smoke, and could control arena lights, allowing for strange goings-on in the ring, and later could cast spells to cause apparent pain and to make them vomit from afar. So what, what really kind of thrust him into the spotlight was he ran in on a Hulk Hogan versus Sid Justice main event match at WrestleMania 8. Oh, no. <laughs> and Shango actually missed his cue to run in, hitting the ring late. The finish was supposed to be Sid getting disqualified because of Shango breaking up the pinfall attempt by Hogan after he hit the big drop. However, due to Shango getting the ring late... Sid was, support, was forced to kick out of the leg drop to save the angle. Sid's manager Harley Whippleman then jumped in on the apron. The referee signaled for the disqualification. At that point, as Shango was just getting to the ring, the Ultimate Warrior then returned to the WWF by running to the ring and helping Hogan against Sid and Shango. After WrestleMania, Sid and Warrior were scheduled to begin the feud. Um, however, Sid had previously failed a drug test, and that is when uh, that is when Shango uh, was going to feud with Sid instead. however the angle just went nowhere, so... Um, no, no, Shango feuded with Warrior, you right. mean. Oh, no. Yeah, Shango feuded with Warrior. Sorry. Instead, yeah, instead. instead of Sid. Right. Um, where he would cast voodoo spells on his opponent. However, that angle went nowhere, and the Warrior went and challenged Randy Savage for the World Heavyweight Champion at SummerSlam. So... Uh, Shango then defeated Tito Santana at the dark match for that event at SummerSlam, and um, Shango finally had a match with the Warrior in November of 1992, and then Warrior was released. Um, however, uh, he would uh, Shango would get a, a main event spot at uh, um, at the championship, of, didn't didn't win, but um, so what uh so what happened essentially was at the Royal Rumble Papa Shango uh, which was following the following year um he, he just kind of kind of fell off the face of the earth after that Royal Rumble and uh, that's about it I mean Papa Shango was was just uh, you know people didn't like the gimmick because it was too I guess cartoony uh, the curses were seen as an embarrassment, and you got to think about the time too. I mean, that was just the time, but again, it probably is going down in history as one of the worst gimmicks in WWF history. After, of course, Gobbly Gooker, yeah, which or, I'm going to talk uh, about. He's going to talk about.
0: So, a fun fact: um, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name, but uh, Papa Shango, whoever portrayed him, I can't remember his name. I don't know why I lost me, but he actually studied voodoo rituals. Yes. Um, to get himself into the character, right. so a lot of those um, rituals that he did, and a lot of those powers actually are based on
1: voodoo right. rituals, right. which
0: I think is cool because he's like, let me make this like, let me get the best out of the
1: bad situation right, right now. Right. So. So, anyways, uh, moving on here, we're gonna go pretty quickly here. The flying nuns. Oh, um so the Flying Nuns, Sister Angelica, and Mother Smucker, better known to <laughs> Better known to us as Mosh and Thrasher, the Headbangers. So this was so this was a headbanger's introduction into the WWF. Of course it was a one-hit wonder. I uh, only wrestled one match as the Flying Nuns. And it was uh, the gimmick was all part of an elaborate angle to introduce the bangers to the WWE audiences, but it was dropped pretty quickly, liking, uh, likely owing to how touchy some Christians have a tendency to be about those things, especially at that time too. Yeah, they- and so um, you know they changed their gimmick a little bit. Um, they changed it to, I believe, the oh, shoots, um, the angels or something like no. Um, I'm looking, sorry. Um, but anyways, uh, they were hailing from a monastery in the Himalayas. Uh, they they changed their gimmick a little bit to the Sisters of Love, but that gimmick, too, was short-lived, and they actually kept the skirts when they returned to being the Headbangers in January of 1997.
0: That's interesting. Yep, um, the
1: Flying Nuns. Sister Angelica and Mother Smucker. Yep, like, for God's sake. Let's talk about Lowdown now. It was a tag team that... Consisted of uh, that consisted of Chaz, normally uh, formerly known as Masha, the Headbangers, and um, as uh, and as Beaver Cleavage and D'Lo Brown. The team was named after D'Lo Brown's finishing move, having been called low Down. So uh, they they so Chaz and D'Lo Brown they were renamed um, because reasons. Because <laughs> the o Brown's finisher was right. called the but, but you know, again, they had a short-lived rivalry with Team Extreme, um, and uh, they actually aligned themselves with uh, Tiger All Singh. So that's when they picked up the gimmick of being Singh uh, Se- Sikh wrestlers, um, having been held down So the ring attire would incorporate turbans and sashes, and then they were given the uh, they were given Tiger's. Uh, uh, entrance music as well But of course the uh, Popularity rapidly dwindled And probably there were
0: some people who were unhappy with Yes
1: it. but uh, yeah that was Kind of a, a whatever that gimmick was Called it was kind of stupid Now let's actually go to one that actually could have been A very big success Mordecai so Mordecai, for all of those who may not know, because they're too young, he was also Kevin Thorne back when he debuted in And they, they still might, and they, and they ECW. might be too young. <laughs> and they still might be too young. But Mordecai was actually based off of a character they had in the indie scene called Seven based on the seven deadly sins yes so um after his stint in the independent scene he actually approached vince mcmahon about becoming the character that would later become mordecai mm-hmm. and vince was very impressed with the presentation and actually the undertaker too was very impressed mordecai and the undertaker were actually supposed to have a master resume at 21
0: Really? I thought it was...
1: Yep. Cool. Yeah. um, You can scroll down a little bit. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I just, you know, I don't have... I'm not very good at this. So, anyways, it wasn't a stupid gimmick. It just... It really didn't go anywhere. So, the whole gimmick was he was trying to, like, eradicate the sins of WWE.
0: So, he was... He wore all white right. and he had he used a crucifix powerbomb... I remember watching him. I remember watching him. He was one of my favorite gimmicks. I loved Mordecai.
1: Right. So, anyways, that's kind of where that whole gimmick went. Um, You know, I think the problem was, though, that it just wasn't executed very well. Um, And so... uh, Can you scroll up just a little bit? Sorry. Um, So... Anyways, that that kind of was Mordecai's whole thing. He's just you know condemned the audience for their sins, led them in prayer, um, and uh, he was actually sent back to OVW pretty quickly to do some more training. Uh, there was also some uh, there was also some uh, reason to believe that he was involved in the bar fight, and there was impending lawsuits meant that WWE decided to take him off of television. Yes, so that's kind of what happened to Mordecai. But yeah, Mordecai would have been the very like the very um uh he would have been the person that would face the Undertaker WrestleMania twenty one. That's cool, kind of cool. Um but that's kinda of where that went. But you know, they want to do that whole like good versus evil kind of thing, Mordecai and all the white versus Undertaker and all black. Right that sort of I thing. I thought it would have been great and um he looked imp- I
0: remember he looked very yeah, impressive. He did, yes. Um I thought he was fairly good. I just don't know why it didn't catch. I think maybe I think maybe part of it is like it wasn't like there wasn't really anything like wow factor other right. than the entrance. It's like maybe him beating up a couple of guys and really like being taken seriously right. as that threat that would have put him over the top. Right. Have him
1: have him go after the Undertaker. Right, that's what would have put him over. Right, so that's kind of where that went. So uh, we're gonna talk about our last person, and I don't even want to call it a person, but. It was probably more like a Vince McMahon jerk off We we
0: had we had to do this because I think this was probably of all the r- dumb religious gimmicks that they had. This one was the most offensive,
1: yes, and we're gonna talk about God, which was the uh which was the invisible beam of light that teamed up with Shawn Michaels against Vince and Shane McMahon. And now this so this is after Shawn Michaels' injury, so at this point right. he was born again. He was so. born again and Vince McMahon wanted to like take it into some storyline. So uh, Vince and his son Shane were concocting this whole plan. They were they were um I guess they were kind of making fun of, or at least they were uh, criticizing Michaels for his faith in God. Yes. And um, so... They they went to, like, a church. Yeah, they went to a church, and... Ev- I mean, they did all sorts of crap. So anyways, let's get to the match itself. So it was a handicap match originally. It was Shawn Michaels versus Vince and Shane McMahon. And so what happened was Vince actually had the entire arena go dark... And then have his beam of lights like fall from the ceiling, met by uh it was accompanied by a chorus of angels. And it was just this beam of light that was just walking down, that was just like going slowly down the ramp towards the ring. So literally it was God. Right. And and, like- and the referee had to like do a pat down on God and everything. It was like Shawn Michaels and his faith in God versus Vince and Shane McMahon. And And that 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 literally was the premise of the entire like storyline. Yep. but but the, the beam of I can't even, it's not even a person. It's just Vince McMahon's gigantic cock in his ego said this is a good idea guys oh people were actually very I know. pissed off about this too yep so you know i mean what what can we have i mean this is this this is just joke this is a joke and gifs and it's like did you ever really want this to like be a thing it's like i wonder what god's finishing move would have been but anyways we're going to end off on that because you just got to love these horrible religious gimmicks. They should not do these anymore um, unless the person is actually – now, there are actually some religious gimmicks that were done really well. Like Shawn Michaels is a great example of – like yeah, he it, actually it has like faith in that religious gimmick, but he's actually incorporating it into his his whole like right. – Right. It's Shawn Michaels. It's Shawn Michaels. It's Shawn Michaels. Right. Uh,
0: Michelle McCool used questions right. all over her hers because she's very heavily religious um
1: yeah there are some religious gimmicks that work but for every one religious gimmicks that work there's probably a hundred that don't like it's this is a good thing for people to right. really do other than
0: like like demons are fine i guess i mean I, I feel like if you do like a there are religious gimmicks that do work and i think you can right. do one where somebody does pray before right. there's a way to do it respectfully obviously wwe can't do that right. because that doesn't make sense right but there was a way to do it.
1: anyway, so yeah, that was uh, Vince McMahon stroking his ego and saying, oh, my God, it's got Oh! <laughs> my grapefruits. <laughs> oh, my grapefruits. <laughs> so anyway. Anyways, when we come back, we're going to end off with Tiger Heights. Yeah.
0: And we are back, and let's go to my choices. Hooray. We're going to start off with just a wonderful gimmick with Tony Atlas dressed up as a Ugandan warrior ah. called Saba Simba. Um, the gimmick was to, uh, was brought in to have a rivalry with, at that time, Akeem the African Dream, which was the, you know, the white guy. Um, but it never really happened for some weird reason. Right. Um, he returned to the WWF in, the, in 1990, so that's when it debuted, kay. after several battles with drugs. Okay. And then also he was homeless for one and a half years before ah. this. Um, and this is Tony Atlas too, right? um, a trailblazer for African-Americans in professional wrestling being, you know, um, one half of the first African-American tag team champions. Um, The excuse that people gave of Tony Atlas being on there because he didn't wear a mask or anything, it was basically Tony Atlas, was that um, he was proud of his heritage after taking a trip to Africa. Okay. So that is how they got that. The gimmick was immediately lambasted for being racist and stereotypical Uh on message boards. This is early 1990s. Yeah, it was a message board. Right? (laughs) Um, And also, like, uh, through magazines and stuff, like, writers would say that, like, this whole thing is terrible. Right. Um, Atlas came out years after, despite the gimmick thanking WWF for the opportunity because not only did it save his life because of the drug testing, which forced him to clean himself up, right. but also he was able to get a place. Right. So um, that's good. Um, I guess Tony Atlas actually also did like doing the gimmick yeah. as well. Um, he gave some new life to it. And um, he only really had a handful of matches. He never really... Well, he never won a title. Right. Um it was really more of he was really more of a curtain jerker. He never really got out of beating up a bunch of jobbers and some right. lower card. Um but at least with this gimmick it really helped Tony Atlas. Right. And now he's fine and I wish him all the best, but I'm not sure if you've ever seen what this guy wore, but it was really bad. Ah. Um but yes, let's go to The Yeti. The or, Yeti. Well, no, that's how um Tony Schiavone pronounced it. The uh, Yeti, the Yeti. Um, it was given to Ron Reese, but it wasn't supposed to be him. Actually, it was supposed to be given to uh, Giant Gonzalez. Ah, um, but he had to leave due to physical problems. Ah, um, it might have been a bad thing that he, Gonzalez, at this point, was eight foot two, and he was thirty nine. Yeah, so obviously there was that. So Ron Reese was brought in, and given that gimmick, and at the very end of the episode of. Nitro, before Halloween Havoc... You yeah. just can't get away from fucking Halloween well, Havoc. Know, right? Um, he was... He broke out from a glacier. I am not kidding you. And he waved ah. his arms. He waved his arms, and the final thing is, What is that? And the thing cut out. At the... So, this was the Dungeon of Doom's insurance policy <laughs> um, against Hogan, because... The, <laughs> oh, ma- the, the main The main event was... The Giant or Big Show in his debut match against Hulk Hogan. Right. For the WCW World Champion. The Giant won the match by disqualification. Right. Because the title could change hands via disqualification. So then, the Yeti comes out. seven foot two, Ron Reese, wrapped up like a mummy. And he is called the Yeti. He goes, so Big Show had Hulk Hogan in a bear hug. And the Yeti comes over to the back of Hogan and starts giving him a bear hug. But he did, like, a seizure. So um, this is why you don't do a double bear hug right. because basically Hogan was raped. Okay. Um, It was immediately criticized on, once again, message boards because we're talking about 1995. Right. Um, And magazines just hated it because it's like you call it the Yeti, but it's a mummy against Dungeon of Doom, which is at this point the worst gimmick of 1995 right. as well. So they decided to change it. Right. Now, when you change it from the Yeti, you would think, oh, still seven foot two. You can do something cool with it. And maybe it's like Ron the Yeti Reese because he's like a big dude, right? Right. Whatever. No, let's put him in a ninja mask and call him Super Giant Ninja. Yes. But, but he did not, that name did not change until later. Ah. He was still called the Yeti. Oh, Jesus. But with the ninja mask. Oh, God. Um, he wrestled a couple of matches, and then it was immediately dropped because it's stupid. Right. Um, I love that gimmick. It's one of my favorite uh... gimmicks. Also, the double bear hug because, you know, butt rape. Anyway, <laughs> um, from Pina Gallery talking about a one-hit wonder gimmick to me talking about one. Hooray! Fantasio.
1: Yeah! Who
0: was... A magician.
1: Yeah, magician. Um,
0: this is early 90s WWF, so about the same time yeah. that uh, Friar Ferguson was there,
1: and all the other stupid right? fucking gimmicks um, that we the, get.
0: The gimmick was given to Harry Del Rio's because he was a amateur magician in real life. Okay, he had three matches. A dark match on raw in 1993 the infamous match on wrestling challenge in 1995 and another dark match in 1997 as the Binder. okay um that which is actually the name of his gimmick in the indie scene oh, at the Jesus. time um without so i watched the match yeah for study um without the stupid magic tricks gimmick He was actually a really good wrestler. He looked physically good. His stuff was really clean and nice and really easy, um, except for the gimmick. Uh, Del Rios caught McMahon's eye um, very early on, and he was working in the USWA Mm -hmm. um, because they had a working agreement, and then they called it – he was called up north. So a lot of people say that the USWA was actually the first developmental territory – Right for WWF, and instead of calling up to the main roster, they said called up north.
1: Right. Because I think— Kind of like in WCW when they talked about, like, going north or whatever. Right.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Um, According to Del Rios in an interview in 2006, Mark Calloway was not a fan of the Fantasio gimmick and felt that it mirrored his Undertaker gimmick too closely. Eh. I'm going to 1 million percent call bullshit on that because Undertaker is a undertaker, not a magician. Right. Um, Gigantic difference. Um. Let's go to Glacier. Hooray!
1: So um, obviously a Mortal Kombat Sub Zero character
0: because this was 1996 and, and Mortal Kombat, K- Kombat was like in the news constantly, right. Because of the violence. Um, it was betro- It was betrayed, betrayed by Raymond M. Lloyd because, um, Raymond has multiple martial arts disciplines, including a bal- black belt in karate. He competed. For the World Karate Association in full contact tournaments, eventually winning the United States' South Eastern Super Heavyweight title. Jesus. Um, he retired because um, they were going to be changing up the rules where kicks could not be higher than, like, the waist. Right. Um, because I guess there were a couple of deaths. And he did not like that, but he was also older. So at least they gave the Glacier gimmick to a guy who knew what he was doing. Right. Um, The costume design was from Andre Fretis, which costed about $35,000. Jesus. The entrance, according to WCW producer Keith Mitchell, costed WCW $400,000. Jeez. With an additional $10,000 bill for three technicians who had been flown in every time Mm. for the entrance routine in the display right that's insane this is a five hundred thousand dollar gimmick right and it didn't work so glacier did not click with wcw fans or the executives actually he was popular with fans um kids actually liked him right which is kind of weird but i can get it also he had a blue light over the ring during Ah. his matches
1: oh that's annoying
0: so um very sincara yeah um so his uh his gimmick was changed to Coach Buzz Stern, and after an injury yep. from Glacier, and then he was released. And you know he's doing fine now. I think he's like a lawyer. So um, Glacier, I love Glacier. It's one of my favorite gimmicks. All right, last person, and, but most certainly not least, an infamous gimmick: the Gobbledygooker. Yeah. Um, McMahon was interested on signing Hector Guerrero to a contract, but McMahon did not know how small Guerrero was at the time. Jesus. Um, Guerrero tried to make the case that a uh, smaller gimmick couldn't draw money, but obviously he couldn't convince McMahon. Right. Uh, there, This was an idea to bring kids and families, the Gobbled gimmick, um, as a Survivor Series mascot. Right. And Guerrero and WWF uh, um, agents had issues, but Dusty Rhodes vouched for Hector to stay with the company and do the gimmick. Right. Uh, Hector has gone on record saying that the gobbledygooker was a missed business opportunity. Um, one could say, you know, he says that it could have worked given the right venue. Okay. Um, I can kind of agree with him, but maybe not wrestling. Right. Um, so, the obviously, there was the egg. Right. That gobbledygooker came out on. They touted the egg around the circuit, including house shows, um, and there was a box underneath. That's where Hector Guerrero would be under. Right. Um, He was given a monitor, he was given a light, and he was given, like, snacks and drinks. Uh, the, um, The crew that built it pranked him by pasting uh, pornographic photos inside of the box on the screen, (laughs) um, knowing that Hector Guerrero was a very heavily Catholic man, and he was super upset about it. (laughs) The end of the gimmick came a month after in Madison Square Garden. The production thought it was a great idea to shine a bright light on uh, the gobbledygooker, but the eye holes were at the eyes, and the eyes were white globes. Right. So shines right in there Guerrero was blind so he almost ran into the stands he hit his knees on the steel steps and he flipped over the ropes slipped and landed on his butt because he he couldn't see right he couldn't see um, it was dropped uh, Guerrero was fired And that is the end Of the gobbledygooker He was He agreed to come back As the character Right um, For Wrestlemania 17 kay. In the um, Promotional battle royal Okay But people I don't know I, I think it's stupid. I yeah. think there would have been no way to save his gimmick no matter what. Right. And um, thank God that we don't have that other than Retribution. I anyway, know. So, <laughs>
1: so um, well, that's kind of the end of the show. What is going on next week? We have pay-per-views. So, paper, so we have the Survivor Series. And then isn't there an NXT show as well, or is there not? No, there is not. There, there is, is not, not, at least announced, announced yet. Okay. But, yes, it will definitely be our friend over... At Survivor Series. WWE is doing their stuff. The E. Yes. And, um, and um, so, um, because we are going to be in a different location. Bible Studies to be determined. Wrestling lesson with Tiger Height is to be yes. determined.
0: Yes. It's definitely a to be determined um, for next week. But then the week after, we're going to be talking about... Um, not blundered gimmicks but we're going to be talking about blundered promotion, promoter decisions ah. um, like saying that Bruno San Martino was going to be nothing but a mid Carter so um, I want to thank you all for listening to the show if you enjoyed it remember to like, follow or subscribe wherever you're watching it and share it with your friends become a patron, follow us on social media including uh, peanut gallery's very neglected fucking Instagram very neglected <laughs> (laughs) It sucks. And as always, be majestic.